We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, September 7th. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Alex Brutha. We are presented by the exclusive sponsor of Roadwire podcast, WinBet. Check out winbet.com. That's W Y N N bet.com for all of your sports wagering needs. Uh, Alex, we're going to get into some, uh, I, I guess, a game, a, a relative game as far as podcast games go. Uh, a, a little game of who would you rather draft? We're each going to name two players. Uh, we're going to let the other answer and, and have a discussion about that. Uh, but we do have a few extremely minor news items to hit before we dive in uh, to that exercise. You know, we, the last couple of weeks, I feel like we've been wondering like how the Chicago Bulls are going to fill out a roster that <laughs> zero power forwards for a while. Uh, we got our answer yesterday. Uh, both Alizé and Stanley Johnson have joined the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Derek Jones, of course, came over uh, as part of the Larry Nance, Laurie Markkinen three-team sign-and-trade. Patrick Williams looks to be penciled in as a starter at power forward. The bigger point here is, like, this is what qualifies as news in early September. Yeah, things have been pretty slow. Um, everyone's kind of sitting around waiting for the Ben Simmons bombshell. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they found some power forwards because Patrick Williams is about to play 45 minutes of the position. Um, the, the other news item that came through over the weekend, DeAndre Jordan expected to join the yeah. Los Angeles Lakers. No surprise at all. I mean, it, I, I feel like I don't know if he's contractually obligated as a former all-star in his 30s. Like, he, he just has to go to the Lakers now. Um, I, a little bit surprised, I guess, that that the Nets are parting ways with him. I, I, I mean, it makes sense, I think, from a pure basketball perspective. Like, he probably never should have been there in the first place. So from that standpoint, I totally get it. But the whole point was that this guy's buddies with you know, Kevin Durant and and Kyrie Irving and James Harden, like they kind of wanted him there as this this overpaid glue guy. And, you know, they're buying him out. It's not like you're um, or, or wait, did they trade him to Detroit? Am I do I have yeah. it totally wrong? OK, they traded him to Detroit, who then bought him out. Um, 
you know, so they bring in Sekou Dembuya, which not the worst asset grab of all time. I mean, he was fairly underwhelming in Detroit as far as first round picks go. But to get any kind of asset back for DeAndre Jordan, I, I think is a, a decent deal by Brooklyn. But but overall, I was just surprised that they let him go, even as his role dwindled. It, it, it kind of seemed like, you know, they never really expected him to be a great on-court contributor. Yeah, I um, I mean, he, he didn't have I don't think he played a single minute in the playoffs um maybe like one i honestly can't remember um but at this point the nets are just they're a playoff team right like they don't care about the regular season at all so if someone's not going to be of use to them in the playoffs there's no almost no reason to have them on the roster um especially in the case of deandre jorgen where he was being paid so much Mm -hmm. um we should mention that the the pistons got four second round picks for taking on the contract Oh, yeah. Um, which obviously isn't like great, but it's for free. And they sent out Sekou Demboya, who, you know, is, was clearly not a part of the rebuild anymore because they kind of committed to Sadiq Bay and everyone else. Um, but yeah, it seems like I mean, he might not be an every game player on the Lakers either because he's going to be behind presumably Marcus Gasol and Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis at center. Um, so I don't even know if you can. I, I don't think he's going to play every day. Well, that's what I was going to ask is. I don't love the way that this Lakers center rotation is shaping up. And by all accounts, Anthony Davis is finally going to accept playing more center this year. And the way the roster is built, he's virtually going to have to do that. So, you know, it doesn't really matter how you get there. That That's a good thing at the end of the day. But all three of your secondary options, Gasol, Dwight Howard, DeAndre Jordan, like all, all three of those guys are well past their primes. And Dwight Howard is still still pretty close physically uh, to what he was at his peak, which is which is saying a lot about how he's taking care of his body, you know, into his mid 30s. But yeah, you know, Gasol can space the floor a little bit, but you know, not, he's kind of in that Valanciunas range where it's like you're not going to be throwing, you're not going to be sprinting out there to stop him from shooting threes. Like I, I don't necessarily love that you have like a super versatile center in Anthony Davis, and then three guys who at this point in their career are, are pretty much stiffs and and kind of offer similar things. Like I I would like to see. I would have liked to see one of those spots go to like some 21 year old, you know, who at least on paper can, you know, has like the foundation of a decent jump shot. You know, like I, I just feel like it's, it's a super redundant depth chart beyond Anthony Davis. Yeah, it definitely is. I think they'll, they'll end up, you know, between Deandre Jordan and Dwight Howard, you know, how much each of those guys are going to play, you know, maybe they kind of just alternate or it's just whoever's hot on a given game, you know, gets in there for more time, but yeah, it is, it's a lot of center depth for a team that presumably will be playing Anthony Davis at center when it actually matters. Right. And a team that, I mean, you, you, in certain lineups, you could play Carmelo Anthony or even LeBron James as a small ball center. Like there's, there is no need for almost any NBA team right now to be rostering four centers, uh, all of whom to some level are, are going to expect to play. Right. I mean, like Marcus all was on the fence about even coming back to the Lakers. You would imagine there was some sort of guarantee made like, yes, you're going to be a part of the rotation, I mean, Dwight, you know, he's going to play 10 to 12 minutes. Um, you know, I, I, DeAndre Jordan, I, I guess, is probably the lowest man on the totem pole here right now, just just because of, of the situation that, that he came from in Brooklyn. Maybe there's not a huge expectation. But at the same time, you know, he, he left one ring chasing situation to go to another. And you, you would imagine that he had other options out there, um, you know, that, that that probably could have offered him a larger role. So it makes you wonder, like, why did he choose the Lakers? Did they also guarantee him something? Like, I, I just don't see all four of these guys really being you know routine contributors night in and night out yeah i'm sure he just wanted to live in la and and be yeah. a part of the team ring chase because i mean you talk about guys who you know they could have signed someone else you know demarcus cousins is still a free agent 
um, like Luke Cornett, who can shoot threes, is still a free yes. agent. That's, Aaron that's Baines. That's exactly the type of guy I'm talking about. Yeah, Luke Cornett. Like, I would rather have DeMarcus Cousins on this Lakers team than DeAndre Jordan. I, I mean, I, I don't, I can't believe we're debating this like in the first five minutes of a podcast, but I, know. <laughs> I, I would Giles. rather have DeMarcus Cousins. At, le- at least there's like a 1% chance that DeMarcus Cousins comes back and is really good. Like DeAndre Jordan, there's, there's no chance. Like those days have passed. I agree. Uh, I, I would like to see someone a little less redundant with Dwight Howard, but maybe they're just like, this is Dwight Howard insurance in case Dwight Howard gets hurt, which is the weirdest way to approach it. But um, yeah, I suppose there's, there's some continuity uh, to be spoken for there. Let's talk about Ben Simmons real quickly before we play. Uh, would you rather? How are you handling Ben Simmons from a fantasy perspective right now? Like I, I was going through and doing some, you know, initial minutes projections for like our, our daily fantasy uh, content on the site these last couple days, and you know, it, it struck me. It's like obviously we have time, but as of now, it's like would you project Ben Simmons to play any minutes on opening night? And if he's still on the 70s, if he's still in Philly. I feel like the answer is probably no, but there's also a pretty decent chance that within the next month or month and a half, you know, he ends up somewhere else. And obviously that would be a different situation. Like if you were participating in an early draft or if you were going through and kind of doing your own projections, like how are you handling Ben Simmons right now, given everything that we know? Well, ideally I wouldn't be drafting now. Um, I mean, if you're in an early draft, that's, it's really hard to figure out where Ben Simmons should be drafted or, or where you should take him. It's tough to say whether or not you should project him for minutes on opening night because there's a chance that maybe he just doesn't show up to training camp. He takes the fines and then he shows up and wants to play uh, like he doesn't want to lose game, you know, uh, game paychecks. And then the question is, would the organization play him at that point? I don't know. Um, I think there is I, I guess there is a chance that there is some sort of like holdout situation, um, you know, up until the trade deadline or who knows. Um it's really, it's just an impossible situation to predict. I, I would imagine, I don't know. I, I guess I wouldn't draft him as high as, you know, maybe his rank suggests, like, um, just in terms of like, I think we have him ranked, we have him ranked in like the sixties. I guess you could take him there. Cause usually sixties kind of where you start taking some risks anyway. So I, I guess draft him there, but it's really a situation where you could get, you could definitely get screwed <laughs> if you draft Ben Simmons this season. You made a lot of good points there. The best one is that you shouldn't be drafting this early. So just, just avoid all these issues and, and you're good. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I mean, the, the Simmons projection is also partially rooted in the fact that he, he did regress last season. He regressed big time in the playoffs. You know, there's some potential carryover with that. But we also kind of had to shoot the gap. And, you know, we, we don't know where he's going to be traded. There's a chance he could be traded to a situation where we say, well, you know, this team already has a non-shooter in its starting lineup or they already have. Uh, an established point guard. Where does Ben Simmons play? Like, you know, we, we don't want to assume that he's going to go to a perfect situation and, and all of a sudden, you know, all of his numbers rise because everybody around him compliments him. Like there's, there's a pretty good chance that's not going to be the case. So, you know, like, like most players, we, we went fairly conservative when projecting Ben Simmons, but I also feel like there's, if you are doing an early draft, like you, you don't want to be too aggressive with Ben Simmons, but there's a chance that if and when he's eventually traded and, you know, hopefully before the season or maybe early in the season, if he does end up in a really advantageous situation, like there is a chance that that weirdly after a couple disappointing seasons and a, a really disappointing end to last season, like there, there's a chance that he has like a fifth year breakout just by by virtue of, of getting out of Philly and kind of starting anew. I think so. I mean, he's he's ranked pretty high before, like you mentioned, last season was his worst. 
But two seasons ago, in 2019-20, he was the 19th ranked player right. on per game basis in fantasy. Um, you know, he had his good, he had good free uh, field goal percentage, his free throw percentage was relatively high, all that. So yeah, if he ends up in a situation where the team makes sense around him, you know, and that to some extent, um, you have to have a floor spacing five around him. Mm-hmm. Um, if he ends up in that situation, like, yeah, he could be a top 20 player again. It's certainly possible. Like he, cl- he clearly is that talented. He's done it before. It's just, it, it you can't predict something like it, it, it was the same thing with James Harden last year. Right. You know, like, would you draft James Harden number one, given the situation? The people who did draft James Harden number one didn't like really get burned if we're putting aside the injuries. You know, he's still ranked, right. I think, number two or three per game. So Ben Simmons is, is kind of a similar argument. Yeah, I mean, with Harden, I feel like it wasn't it wasn't as bad for people who who passed on him, partially because so many other players got hurt that or missed time, you know, due to, to COVID protocols that that Harden you know, missing as much time as he did, like, didn't really seem like that big of a deal because virtually every top player missed, like, at least 10 games. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, with Simmons, there's considerably more risk, of course. Like, with Harden, we knew, like, worst-case scenario is essentially what happened, right? Where, like, his, his scoring dropped off a ton, his free-throw shooting dropped off a ton, but he was still super elite in all those areas. And instead of being, like, far and away the number one player, he's, like, the third or fourth best player. Whereas with Simmons, I mean, it could go, it could swing in a number of directions. With that said, it's hard to imagine him sinking much lower than last season. You know, like, I, I think just the way that he plays, like, he, the numbers that he's been putting up in Philly, which was, like, objectively for him, like, pretty bad situation, despite the team, like, somewhat being built around him. Like, it, it wasn't really ideal. Like, it, it's hard for me to see him ending up in a worse basketball situation. Right. Yeah, I mean, he had a lot of talent around him, which I think obviously helped, like, buoy his numbers and give him a good baseline to work with. Like, he, you know, he's going to average seven assists a game with, with, Curry around him and Tobias Harris there and all that and just you know feeding the ball to uh, Joel Embiid like on a post seal he's gonna get some assists but yeah I mean just it, you know basketball fit wise like you mentioned it's a bad fit if he ended up somewhere I don't know if he ended up somewhere like Indiana where they have Miles Turner Turner at the five even though they have Sabonis there that would complicate things but you know what I'm trying to say like he he could certainly put up you know close to a triple double every night like he could definitely go for like you know, 17, nine and nine, if he was in a good spot. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, Boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. All right, let's get into who would you rather draft? 
Uh, I will start. We, we each have our list. These are we're going in blind. Uh, we have not exchanged any of these. Uh, so you know the point is, this is kind of first impression. You know you're not going to have time to you know triple check your projections and 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 see who ranks higher. It's just kind of you know based on what you know, everything that we've written, everything we've been studying for these last several weeks since last season ended. You know which player, you know, gun to your head, would you take? Uh, I will start. Would you rather draft Monte Ellis or Lance Stevenson? <laughs> um. How about Isaiah Thomas? Is that is he on the board? I, I was told that Isaiah Thomas is in very good shape. I think it was put out by Isaiah Thomas's representation that he is in extremely good shape. So just that's that's all we know about that. Uh, do we ever get any fallout from that workout, by the way? I have not heard anything about it since. No stats like not, not like nothing even ended up on Lance Stevenson's Instagram. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I would imagine one of those guys I would hope I would hope get signed. Uh, preferably by Dallas, but but could be by anybody. Um, I mean, Monte and or Monte has played for the Mavs before. Lance yeah. Stevenson and Isaiah Thomas, I don't believe they have. Right? You always have to check with with both of those guys. <laughs> it's like maybe, maybe did they spend like eight games at the end of a season? I I don't think they have. Um, you know, I know I think Lance Stevenson would like kind of be the most fun just from an on court perspective. But I to you know to play again in the NBA. But I'm almost more interested in Monte Ellis playing in the mm. NBA again, just because it's been so long since we've seen him. Um, and the league has changed like so much since he's been relevant. I don't even know like what, I guess he'd just be like microwave scorer kind of a guy, but um, that would just be really bizarre to see him playing again. Did you read that Clay Thompson feature in the athletic a couple weeks back? It was, it was like a, not an oral history, but basically they, they just uh, like crowdsource stories from a bunch of people, just Clay Thompson stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Well, one, very much worth a read. It, 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 okay. Like everybody loves Clay, but it makes you love him even more. Two, like the the underrated highlight of of one of the stories was uh, Monte Ellis basically trying to ban Clay Thompson from shooting as a rookie because he was he was just taking too many shots and Monte Ellis was not getting enough. <laughs> Arguably the best spot up shooter of all time. Uh, yeah, I mean, t- taking too many shots. I mean, what do you you know Monte Ellis guy gets twenty five yeah. points. Yeah, the the long and short of it was that Monte Ellis like basically cursed him out in a, in a timeout and said like, you're only a rookie. You need to stop shooting. And then first possession out of the timeout, he had an open look and drained a three. <laughs> Monte Ellis was taking 22 shots a game in like 2009, 2010. I don't know if that's when Clay Thompson showed up. I can't remember exactly when Clay was drafted, but yeah, a, a little bit after that, I think, but yeah, around that time, I mean, Monte was still very much at his peak. Uh, okay. So, I mean, that was super predictable. I, I feel like you, you knew I was going to bring that out at some point, but I'll give you a real one. Now, would you rather draft Luka Doncic? Or Kevin Durant? Oh, wow. Um, I would take Doncic. I think, I think, I mean, Durant clearly has more upside, right? Like he, Durant has, I think, been the number one player in fantasy before. Yep. Could certainly get there again. Um, you know, it's a little tougher for him on the big three if they all stay healthy for him to get there. But I'm, st- I'm still concerned about Durant's health um, and him being part of the big three already. I think. I think to some extent caps his ceiling. So I would take Doncic. Um, you know, he's he's clearly like the number one option in Dallas. And there's always the chance Porzingis gets hurt. And then Doncic becomes even more of the number one option, which is hardly possible. Um, I know his efficiency isn't great, but I think we talked about in the last podcast. It's like Doncic is if if there is one player who I would trust at some point to just really take like a really uh, nice bump in efficiency and round out their game more, it would be Doncic. Yeah, I mean, with, with Luka, the main concern right now is the free throw percentage. 
right? And that that became yep. a, much more of a concern in the playoffs to the point where you you have to wonder like what's the carryover going to be? Like it's something that we have to watch very closely through the first couple weeks of the season. Like I mean, he was he was basically like a 50% free throw shooter and looked like he had lost all confidence. And my guess is that comes back, but you know, comes back for him is still like low to mid 70s at best. So so that's you know kind of the one thing that's really holding him back from like truly elite status. I, I still think I would take Luca just because I have more concerns about KD from an injury perspective. I mean, KD was fourth in per game value last year. Luca was 18th. So based on that, KD is the the easy choice. But Durant finished like 70 something in total value because he missed so many games. You know, Luca, I, I don't think is exactly like an Iron Man here. He's not going to be an 82 game player, but you know, he's he's willing to play through you know sprained ankles, things of that nature. You could pencil him in for probably 73 to 77 games. Obviously, you can't account for you know some sort of unforeseen major injury with either guy, but I I, I do feel like the Nets are going to be more careful with KD. You know, if there's any discomfort in any part of his body whatsoever, he's sitting. I don't think Luca necessarily has that same mandate. Um, so even though KD is the better player, I, I expect Luca to probably play eight to ten more games. And you know, I, if it's somewhat of a tie in that regard, I, I would just give the advantage to the guy I think is going to be healthier. I agree, and I I think if you're in a points league, you have to go Doncic. But in a in a roto league, um, the the argument for Durant's there because of the percentages. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, uh, I will I will do mine in order then. Um, would you rather draft? Paul George or Bradley Beal? Ooh, that's a very good one. I, I wanted to involve Beal in one of mine, and I, I wasn't able to do it. That's tough. I, I think I think my my first inclination, and that's what we're supposed to go by, is Paul George. I think, I mean, this is a guy who, I don't know if he's had a top five fantasy season, but that year that he thinks that he won the MVP and I think finished <laughs> second, he had to be up there. I mean, that, I think he was right around two steals a game that year. I think he showed in the playoffs once Kawhi went down, even though he ended up getting a lot of help from some pretty unlikely sources. I think he he still showed that like deep down, he still has that number one guy in him. And I, I don't think he's good enough as a number one that you could just you know say, all right, we're going to be a top three seed and make the conference finals. We'll see you there. Like, it's not that type of you know top gear that he has, but he's still on that next level. And I, I almost think that his game... Like he might be a more he might be a better fantasy player than his real life perception at this point, partially because his reputation has, has taken such a big hit over these last couple of years. But I mean, I, I think we have him as like a borderline top 10 guy in our projections. And I mean, if Kawhi Leonard misses 60 plus games, which is a possibility, I mean, that's that's almost a full season of Paul George as the very much unquestioned number one guy for the Clippers. Like the way that they built this team, you have some decent role players, Reggie Jackson, Nick Batum. Um, you know, Marcus Morris, like guys who have who've emerged for them as, as like decent contributors. But I, I don't really see another guy on this roster who like truly competes with Paul George for for shots. Like he's going to be the unquestioned number one guy every single night. I agree with you. I would I would take Paul George there. Um, that season that you're talking about in OKC, he ranked fourth in per game production. Mm-hmm. He's been a tw- top 12 player four times in his career. Uh, I agree. He, he's just going to be like you mentioned, the number one option. I think Reggie Jackson is going to be a pretty popular draft choice for that reason, too, just because of both uh, how well they both played in the playoffs after um, Kawhi Leonard got hurt. And after Kawhi Leonard got hurt, Paul George averaged 30 points, 11 rebounds, six assists and one and a half steals. Mm-hmm. And it's like, obviously, that was in more minutes per game, but it was also against, you know, tougher, dedicated competition. So, I mean, 
and he averaged like 29 a game that season at OKC. So I, th- I think he's right there. I think he could definitely be a top five player again. Um, and he's again, he's done it before. As far as Beal goes, you know, like Beal is, again, clearly the number one option in Washington and will average probably 30 points a game again. But, um, you know, he won't have the he won't have the steals that Paul George might have, because Paul George, in addition to averaging close to 30 points a game, could also hand out like the same number of assists and could lead the NBA in steals because I think he already did one year, um, like two steals a game. So the steals upside really helps um, Paul George in this case. And I think that's a point um, that often goes like under uh, or part of his game that's underrated in terms of fantasy. Yeah, I mean, what what does Brad Beal do better than Paul George for fantasy purposes? He'll probably score maybe two or three more points per game. But other than that, I think George holds the advantage or it's a wash in every other category, right? And uh, as, as you hinted, I mean, defensively, I think that, that's where, where George, I think, really has the biggest advantage. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right. That should re- yeah, I think it really just is um, points that Beal would have over George and then George has steals, which are more valuable in fantasy right. than points, relatively speaking. Yeah, they're both they're both elite, high volume free throw shooters. And the other thing, I mean, Paul George, we haven't projected to make like more than one more three pointer per game than Beal. Like for as for as crazy of a scorer as Beal is, he really is not that high volume of a three point shooter uh, by by modern NBA shooting guard standards. So it doesn't really matter. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you get to to 30 points in real life, but for fantasy purposes, if you're adding, you know, I don't know, 3.5 made threes per game versus 2.1, I mean, that that's a, a, a fairly sizable difference. All right, my next one. Would you rather draft Zion Williamson or LaMelo Ball? <laughs> um, I think LaMelo. Okay. I'm going to stick with, I'm going to go with LaMelo here. Um, I'm still worried about Zion's free throw shooting. I'm worried about his health to some extent Um, because Zion, again, like he he does have the potential to be the, you know, like one of the worst free throw percentage drags on your whole team um, or in in all of fantasy. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's close, but I would still lean LaMelo because I think his game is more well-rounded. He will be the clear number one option as, um, you know, Zion will be. I, I was just so impressed with LaMelo Ball in his rookie season that, you know, I think I like I want to say anything is possible for LaMelo Ball next season, but I would not be surprised if he's an all star. That would not shock me at all. I think he, he would have a chance to make like third team all NBA. I think like I think his upside is there. He could average like basically 20 and 10 and his steals were great last year, too. And Zion's defensive numbers are non-existent. Um, but that's an interesting one. Um, where do you lean on that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Conveniently, they're they're back to back in our rankings. I mean, it's a decision that a lot of people uh, will likely have to make over the next couple of months here. It, they're, they're, you mentioned it with Lamelo. You know, he kind of has this like, what is the ceiling? We have no idea. It could be it could be extremely high. I I still kind of feel the same way about Zion. Right. And I think some people feel even more strongly about him than I do. You know, like they they both just have this like, wouldn't would it be shocking if Zion averaged like 35? and 12 this year <laughs> like it would be i mean it would it would be shocking but it wouldn't be that shocking and like same with Lamelo. if he came out and averaged i don't know 22 9 and 8 you'd be like yeah we saw enough flashes last year that this at least makes sense like i i am surprised that he reached this level this quickly but it's not that crazy and and yeah i mean it's, it's kind of a 
a blind upside play in some ways with both of these guys. I mean, we have a, a slightly larger sample of Zion, but you pointed out to me the other day that he's essentially now played like one full season of NBA basketball. And and with LaMelo, you know, he had the midseason injury last year, wasn't quite himself when he came back from that wrist injury. Um, so we, we have like a half pandemic season of LaMelo. Like we, we have really no idea what the true ceiling is for either of these guys. I, I do think I would go... Man, I mean, this is kind of a cop-up. It, it depends who you take with your first pick, right? Like, you're not taking either of these guys seventh overall. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of depends who you grab uh, either in round one or, or maybe early in round two, depending on, on when these guys are on the board. But I, I think in a vacuum, I, I would lean Zion. I, I think everything, as much as I've, like, dogged the Pelicans for what they did this offseason, like, everything is constructed for Zion Williamson to be as productive as possible this season. And with LaMelo, I, I think the Hornets are going to be a better team than the Pelicans, but they also have quite a few pieces and, and quite a few pieces who can do a little bit of playmaking, can do a little bit of scoring. Um, I mean, Miles Bridges, Kelly Oubre, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, PJ Washington, like these are all like pretty legit contributors. Whereas with Zion, it's like it's you and Brandon Ingram and you got to figure everything else out. So I, I think there's some like monster, bad team, good stat potential with Zion. Whereas I, I don't know that LaMelo is going to be thrown into that fire quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think this is one that, yeah, I agree. With, it just comes down to the moment. I might, I might change my decision on this, like throughout the year, you know, I might do one draft where I run into this choice and I take Zion and another one, I take LaMelo. I think that that's one where it's kind of hard to like go wrong. Uh, my next one is, would you rather draft Michael Porter Jr. or Chris Stapps Porzingis? Porter Jr. No question. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. That one might have been the, one of the easier ones I I did. Um, he was just so. I mean, he was just so good. Uh, or you know, at he's he's been so good stretches throughout his career already. You know, in the bubble he was good. In the playoffs he was good. He's a 50, 40, 90 type guy. Although I don't think his free throws are quite there. Um, you know, they're both injury risks, which is kind of the the thing that's you know common with them, but. Um, MPJ is just in such a position to have like an insane breakout season where he averages like 27 a game on good shooting. Um, and he's also a better rebounder than Chris Stapps. He can get defensive numbers. Um, that one might've been a little too easy. Yeah, I'll, I'll be quick on this. I, I just think, you know, he does have the, the major red flags in terms of like his injury history, but since he's come into his own over these last two years in the NBA, like it, it really hasn't been that much of a concern and, and we'll see because they're, there was some, you know, kind of inklings that maybe the back was acting up at the end of last season in the playoffs. You know, if that carries over, then then this becomes a much hotter debate. But I, I think even if Porter Jr. has like the same season as last year, I, I one, I feel more comfortable with him health-wise than Porzingis. That's the biggest factor. Uh, and two, like that's still a pretty good year. And then with him, there's still this like, man, what what if he really takes it to another level with no Jamal Murray? Like, I mean, there's this like kind of unseen upside with Porter, whereas with Porzingis. I feel like that's kind of faded over the last couple of years. He definitely had that early in his career, but now like a, a great season for Porzingis is like, all right, he only missed 18 games. Awesome. You know, like I, I just don't feel like he has that same sky is the limit type of mystique that he had early in his career. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, what's your next one? My next one is, would you rather draft John Morant or Kyle Lowry? Oh, boy. Um, So I also have a John Morant one. Do you want me to throw the third name into the mix? Oh, yeah, let's do it. We'll do do a three-way. I also had one earlier with LaMelo Ball. We don't have to go back to that. Um, I crossed it out initially before considering that we could do a a, a three-way would you rather. Um, But for this one, I have Russell Westbrook in there. Oh, my Um, God. (laughs) This was already going to be difficult. (laughs) So, So Morant? I I, I guess, uh, yeah, answer... Answer our combined question here. How how do you lean between Morant, Lowry, or Westbrook? I think I'm going Morant. I know that his stats do not translate to fantasy very well. Uh, very aware of that. And I know I know by contrast, Lowry's stats translate insanely well to fantasy. Um, but Morant is so clearly the number one option on that team compared to Westbrook and Lowry like Westbrook is like a two slash three option for the Lakers now maybe he plays like 29 30 minutes a game only Lowry you have to worry about his age he'll be sharing touches with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero if he takes step forward and maybe Victor Oladipo has a good year maybe they cut Lowry's workload down so I think all these players are kind of like Westbrook and Lowry are trending down Morant's trending up, and I'm just going to bank on the fact that his role is going to be bigger than those other guys' roles, and um, that he's on the more he's on the better side of the aging curve. So, for context, in terms of per game value last year, Morant was 116th, Lowry was 38th, Westbrook was 27th. Yeah, I think I think they can come together and all be around the same rank this year. Like, I don't think that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Morant played so well in the playoffs. Yeah. that I just believe that he might be taking another step forward. You know, like we have Morant projected around rank 50. Um, you know, we have Westbrook projected around rank 50 and we have Lowry projected around rank. Like they're all in the 50s. Right. They're right next to each other in our rankings, um, which I think is fair. Because like I said, I think they're all they're They're taking opposite directions in their um, in their development. Right. For me, this all depends on what kind of team you're trying to build. I mean, with Westbrook is, is such a unique piece in that respect, you know, with the, you know, for one, if your league counts turnovers like that, that is, 
that becomes a, a much bigger issue. Um, and you know, if if you're really concerned about free throw percentage, that's that's obviously going to be a problem as well. There's a the lack of three point shooting. I don't think that's going to get any better playing alongside you know Anthony Davis, who was a sub 30 percent three point shooter last year. LeBron, you know, the, the numbers are always better than it seems with LeBron. Like it doesn't it, it doesn't feel like he's a great three point shooter, uh, but the numbers have been like fairly good the last few years. But either way, it's not like this is going to be, you know, a, a haven for Russell Westbrook to all of a sudden. Uh, start launching away from three so there are some shortcomings there but at the end of the day he's still the guy that I trust the most to rack up just crazy counting stats like it it hasn't really mattered where he's played who's been around him he just finds ways to do it and I I know that that there is this belief that you know if if anybody could kind of tame him and, and get him to play a more responsible style of basketball it would be LeBron James and and I think that is true like maybe we see that to some degree but it's almost like he just can't he can't resist like getting every rebound. He can't resist going for every steal and you know trying to trying to get to 10 assists every single game. I don't think he averages a triple double, but I mean we've we've gone conservative on Westbrook in the past just because you you, you know you look at the roster, you're like, man, he's playing with Brad Beal. This guy's a huge usage rate monster. He's playing with Russell Westbrook. How is this going to work? And it just never really seems to matter. Like he always finds a way to rack up those crazy counting stats. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I would. This, this one is really tough for me. I'm second-guessing myself now. It doesn't feel I, like Morant should be as far behind those guys last year as he was, even though it was kind of a disappointing year. And I, I, I totally get, like, he looked awesome in the playoffs. Really what it comes down to for him is free throw percentage and taking more threes, because he took so few threes that it just kind of set him back relative to other point guards. Right. That's the main concern, and he's not going to get you any steals. Westbrook will at least do that. You know, Lowry's going to hit a ton of threes. I don't know. I think I'm lower on Lowry than Morant. I, w- I think I would go, and it's really close. I don't feel super strongly about this, but I think I would go Westbrook, Morant, Lowry. I might, uh, I might put a poll about this on Twitter, honestly, um, and see what people think, because I think this is actually a really interesting one. Yeah, I, I might have to hit up hit up Lauren and try to get this fired up on the Rotowire Instagram at some point. I, I'm assuming I will get a. Sorry, we're only doing football content right now. Uh, response, but once we get closer to draft season, maybe we can throw some of these up as polls and and see how they turn out. Okay, I've officially circled that one. Um, okay. The the other one, the Lamelo Ball Zion Williamson one. My other Lamelo Ball uh, comparison was Fred Van Vliet. Mm. So between those three, who would you rather have? Man, I, I mean, Van Vliet is probably the number one guy where. It's, it's like his, his fantasy value just far exceeds like how I view him in real life. Like he's a very, very good player, NBA champion, but I don't like most of the guys, when you look at like the top 15 fantasy players, it's mostly a list of like the top 15 players in the league in some order. You know, LeBron is not the 12th best player in the league, but we know why he ranks lower in fantasy. Like Van Vliet to me is like the one name who doesn't really fit with everybody else. You know, right. like he's, he's ahead of Davis. He's ahead of Beal. He's ahead of um, even LaMelo. Like I, I feel like most people would say like, oh, I would much rather have LaMelo. But his game is just so uniquely suited to fantasy, despite the fact that he's like barely a 40% shooter, if that. Um, but he takes so many threes. He racks up so many steals. Um, we, we have him projected for for north of 20 points, north of seven assists with no Lowry. I, I think I would lean, I think I would lean Van Vliet. I, I think like we've, we've at least seen him like kind of work toward this value over the last couple of years. And now there's a very, very clear opportunity for him to, to to absorb a lot of what Kyle Lowry left on the table. 
I know they have Goran Dragic, not not super worried about that. Um, whereas Lamelo, I I still have concerns. One by the fact that we've seen you know less than a full season of him at the NBA level, and two, I I just think that team around him, it, just, it might just not be it might not be an ideal fantasy situation. I think it's going to be a very good basketball situation, but I don't think it's going to be the best possible situation for him to finish as high as possible in fantasy. Yeah, Van Vliet ranked 23rd in fantasy last year per game while shooting under 40% from the field. So, like, that doesn't even concern me anymore, you know, his, his field goal percentage. Um, he's a great steals guy. You know, he's like 1.8 steals over the past two seasons. You mentioned Lowry being gone. Dragish doesn't even want to be there, first of all. Um, and Siakam might miss the first month or so of the season because of shoulder surgery. So it might just be like Van Vliet out there running the show with, like, <laughs> nobody like OG Ananobi uh, and Gary Trent's going to fire up threes and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I think, I think I do lean Van Vliet here, but um, it's not an easy call because, you know, LaMelo and Zion are, are kind of bumping up against him as well. So I think that I might put that as another poll too. Maybe I'll just do a big string of these polls or we'll get it out to the main RogoWire account or something like that. But I, I just, think just I start think... a separate Twitter account, just polls, yeah. RogoWire polls. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, uh, I think I think is it back to me now? It sure doesn't really okay. matter. Yeah, we'll we'll swing it back. Uh, Anthony Edwards or Mike Conley? That's yeah. throwing me way off guard. Um, I think I'm going Mike Conley. Is yeah. Question? No, I'm gonna go Mike Conley. Um, okay. I don't know, man. Like, obviously, Edwards has more upside. I don't know. This was really was tough. 58th in per game value. Edwards was 100th last year. But I, I think what makes this and what makes a lot of these interesting questions is Mike Conley's hamstring has not been able to stay healthy these last couple of years. Uh, I mean, with, with Conley, he's at the point in his career now where you start saying, like, OK, maybe he's going to steadily decline you know, with each passing season, like uh, kind of on the Kyle Lowry trajectory where I, I see I see him aging very gracefully into his late 30s. But we're past the point where you could say, like, you know, you'd feel comfortable saying, like, he's going to be demonstrably better than he was the previous year. That's that's just how it works as you get older. Whereas Edwards is at you know, just at the start of his career, like he, he was, I think, better than a lot of people expected as a rookie. I, I don't think we had him pegged for top 100 per game value. And even though they have Malik Beasley, they have Towns. Um, you still have D'Angelo Russell, obviously, like that there are some some roadblocks there to Anthony Edwards having a huge year. I, I feel like it's, you know, the progression of Anthony Edwards versus the injury and possible slight regression of Mike Conley. I might change my answer. I think I'm gonna, I think I will say Anthony Edwards. That's a final answer from me. Um, okay. that, that is a final answer. I one thing I will have to do, because this one is uh, interesting to me, because like. Anthony uh, Edwards was so clearly bad for the first, like, what, 20 games of the season or something like that? Like, he was awful. Yeah. And so, you know, if you were to throw out that portion of his season and just focus on his last, um, like, March onward, you know, those, like, final 32 appearances, which we, we've done almost all the outlooks on the RotoWire website. I definitely wrote this one. Because his last 32 appearances, he averaged 23 points on 45, 34, 76 shooting, five and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, two combined steals and blocks. He had two 42-point performances, 
um, which were against Phoenix and Memphis, by the way, um, like good teams. So, you know, assuming he takes a step forward, like he's clearly, I think he's clearly the number two option on this team. Um, you know, maybe, you know, Malik, I mean, Malik Beasley's going to be around. D'Angelo Russell maybe has a better year. I think this one's close, but I think I would rather just go with the upside of Anthony Edwards. At the, I, I think, I think I'm going to lean that way. Okay. I mean, if you could guarantee me that Mike Conley plays 75 plus games, I would take Mike Conley, no question. But I, I feel like that's a that's enough of a question mark at this point um, that you at least have to consider it. All right, what's your next one? My next one is, uh, <laughs> do you want to draft Cade Cunningham or Darius Garland? That's a good one. That's a really, really good one. I, I don't know if I included any rookies in my list. I don't think I did. <sighs> Man, I, I think I would take Darius Garland. More of a known commodity. I I think Kate Cunningham is, is going to be very good. I think we have maybe slightly overrated what his initial impact is going to be. I think seeing him, even in Summer League, it was clear. It's like, this guy needs to add a little bit of weight. Um, I, I don't know that he's quite... And James and I talked about this extensively before the draft. Like I, I think people talk about him like he's a virtuoso playmaker, passer. He's a very good at those things. He's not, you know, he's not Luka. He's not... Magic, LeBron, um, you know, I don't know, Rondo, like whoever, the names that people <laughs> always bring up, uh, you know, yeah, you know, Magic Johnson, LeBron James, Rajon Rondo, um, you know, the guys who have that kind of sixth sense as a passer, like he's just very yeah. good at maneuvering his way, you know, driving and kicking, making the right play. But I, I've never, he's never struck me as someone who has that otherworldly, uh, you know, passing gene, I guess some people call it. Um, and and I, I think there might be some growing pains there with Cunningham. And, and Detroit also is not that bad by number one pick holding team standards. You know, like you, you, you still have Jeremy Grant, who grew into, I guess, like a borderline all-star last year. You know, you still have Sadiq Bey, who was pretty good last year. A uh, couple options in the front court. I, I don't even know like where exactly Kate Cunningham is going to play positionally because you still have Killian Hayes. Um, obviously, they're going to build things around him. I think he's going to have a nice year, but... I really liked what I saw from Darius Garland last season. And even though the Cavs roster is is somewhat of a mess, like they, there's not much of a roadblock for for he and Colin Sexton. Like most of my concerns with the Cavs are at the forward positions and at center. Uh, and I, I think everything that happens there doesn't necessarily affect Garland. I agree. I think, um, you know, you kind of look at the Cavs roster and you, you – you see the kind of log jam that's going on and you get a little nervous about like, uh, it's, you know, Sexton, what's going to happen to his usage. But the thing is a lot of the like log jam situation are just, it's low usage guys. Like Jared Allen's not touching the ball outside of like dunks. Um, you know, Evan Mobley, it, it might just end up being like a catch and shoot guy this season. Markinen could end up being mostly a catch and shoot guy. Okoro is a, <laughs> is a two and D player, right? Like he's not going to do anything with the ball. So it will be just Garling and Sexton again, and you assume they're not going to spend a ton of time in the court together. Um, you ideally want those guys separated. So I think I would go Garland here. Um, I think I'm pretty confident in you know him getting like you know 16 points and seven to eight assists like every single game. Um, you know, obviously like the the Pistons are more set up for Cunningham to do well, but um, like you're alluding to, he may be someone that his impact is more of like a winning games, you know, plus minus on off kind of a thing than just like gaudy numbers, you know, propelling the team to victory. Um, 
and again, it's hard to make an impact like that when the, the guys around you aren't especially good, right? Like, um, you know, Cunningham's not going to have like a ton of super high IQ, you know, highly talented players to like make those great passes to. Mm-hmm. So it might be a little tough for him at first, you know, as maybe his turnovers are high or his percentages are bad or something like that. So I think I would also take Garland. Would you rather draft RJ Barrett or Nikhil Alexander Walker? <laughs> I knew I knew you were going to throw out an RJ Barrett one for me so I didn't want to I did not want I don't have RJ Barrett on my list for that reason yeah. honestly. That was that was somehow more predictable than the Monte Ellis versus Lance Stevenson. <laughs> um man, I I'm not as worried about Barrett the player as I used to be, but his situation has actually I think gotten worse because the Knicks added Kemba Walker and and Evan Fournier. Um, you know, as like secondary playmaking options and they kept Burks and Rose. And I kind of just wonder like what is really going to be there now for um for Barrett. At the same time, I'm not really that high in Nikhil Alexander Walker. I, you know, I think I did his outlook. I I delved deep into his like clean the glass page. I just didn't really like find a lot that I thought was, you know, indicative of someone who's who's going to make like some really major like impactful leap, especially as a passer. I don't think he's very good there. Um, I, that's like, I might still take Alexander Walker just cause he maybe has more offside. I don't know. Um, hmm. This is a very big decision. Yeah. Who would you hypothetically draft? Uh, I'm going to go RJ Barrett. Okay. All right. Correct answer. <laughs> Why is uh, it no, the, actually, tell me why know, I don't even know answer. what my answer would be for this. Okay. I I think I, I am I'm, I, Alexander Walker is kind of becoming my my new RJ Barrett for this upcoming <laughs> season, and I do think RJ Barrett is eventually going to be a star in the NBA. I will I will not back off that take anytime anytime soon. I'm sorry if I'm if, uh, distracted by my neighbor mowing the lawn seemingly right up to my front door here, uh, but like you said, I, the big thing with RJ Barrett is. Every contributor from last season, minus Reggie Bullock, who helped R.J. Barrett produce assists last year, uh, everybody else is back. And you also added Evan Fournier, who has somewhat of like positional overlap with R.J. Barrett. Like Evan Fournier is going to expect to play 25 to 30, if not more, minutes every single night. Alec Burks is a 20 to 25 minute guy. Uh, I mean, R.J. Barrett was already playing, what, like 34, 35 last year. Um you know, it is Tibbs, so you know maybe they just they just tighten up the rotation and and find a way to make it work. But it's hard to imagine a situation in which R.J. Barrett like doesn't suffer from a usage rate minutes perspective by by the Evan Fournier edition. Right, and the thing about Alexander Walker is that like he is pretty he's a pretty pure like combo guard, um, but he's someone who never gets to the free throw line. He's very reliant on just jumpers. Um, you know, he doesn't finish well at the rim. Um, like he was 52% shooting at the rim last year, which is really bad. He only averaged, uh, 2.4 free throws per 36 minutes last year. The assists were down. He has good, like steals upside, I think, but he's not going to handle the ball a lot because Devonte Graham, Zion Williams, and Brandon Ingram are going to handle the ball a lot. So I think he's just going to end up kind of being like a, like he has potential as a microwave guy, but I just don't know. I just don't know if that really has uh, as much upside as Barrett has, even even with the, the tools you know, or the other pieces around Barrett. 
Fair enough. Who's next up for you? Draymond Green or DeMar DeRozan? Uh, oh, man. Uh, yeah, this one's ugly. This one, like, felt dirty to write down. Yeah, I, I don't know that I've ever uh, managed either of these two players in my fantasy career, to be honest. I I think I think Draymond Green. <laughs> I, I traditionally have not been a Draymond guy. I was I was very low on him last year based on what we had seen from him the previous season. But I mean, he was really, really good for pretty much the entire second half of last year. And I, I think some people had questioned how much he had left in the tank, how much he cared, you know, how in shape he was. And I, I think he answered all those questions pretty resoundingly. So, you know, he's he's weirdly in like the more stable situation of the two. You know, you're, you're reintegrating Clay around Christmas. Uh, but there's really no reason that Draymond shouldn't be able to replicate what he did last year. And I think once Clay is back and up to speed, that only helps someone like Draymond who needs as much shooting around him as possible. Uh, DeRozan, I, I think even though he's moving from you know one team to another and joining up with you know two stars and then kind of a unique player in Lonzo Ball, I do still feel like he has a pretty high floor. But at the same time, um, you know, as a non-shooter. On, on a team that is, is going to need shooting. I, I think that's kind of where where I have some question marks. Like Draymond has fully embraced that. That's kind of been who he is this entire time, um, save for one year where he was like randomly able to shoot threes. Um, you, know, you always think of the the famous tweet, like he shoots a basketball like he's wearing a backpack. It is extremely accurate. And he's embraced that and he's still found ways to be an elite fantasy player. And, you know, DeRozan has, has found ways to still be an elite scorer and, you know, a great mid-range player. But for fantasy purposes, that that just doesn't really offer a whole lot. And I think a lot of the reason that he's been as valuable as he has been the last few years since leaving Toronto is, you know, high free throw rate, high free throw percentage. I think DeRozan inevitably is going to take quite a bit fewer free throws this year playing alongside Levine and Vucevic. I mean, I'm interested to see what DeRozan can do with a floor spacing five. Um, I don't know if he's ever been in that situation before. I mean, he had Gasol, right? Right. Um, Rosen. Yeah. I they may if they overlapped, it was only for that one year because I mean I don't I don't know if Gasol got there the year before or the year that they made the Kawhi deal. Did he get dealt there at the deadline? The he did. Year he before? definitely did. Yeah, I don't think they overlapped. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I'm interested uh, interested to see what you can do with that because he, you know, as someone who like doesn't shoot threes. Um, that always creates issues for him, like in the pick and roll and stuff like that, but he's, he's still managed to be a good assist guy. So having that pick and pop option there will be good. Um, but I think I'm also leaning Draymond here just because I think there's more reason. I mean, over the past, what, three years, this is as, uh, this is the moment where the Warriors could actually, you know, run, go back to contention, right? So he has more reason than he has in the, in the past three or four years to take the season as seriously as possible uh, and be in good shape and develop as much chemistry. And, you know, once Clay will be back, it you know, things will start to make a lot more sense. So, um, you know, obviously there's like he's he's 31, but he feels like an old 31. But I don't know. He's a triple double threat every game. He's a threat for, you know, three to five combined steals and blocks every game. So. I mean, that's that's just a really underrated part of, you know, building a good fantasy team. So I, I think I would take that. OK, I have a few more. We'll, we'll try to go through these a little bit more quickly. Uh, two guys who are at similar points in their career, uh, similar situations. Unfortunately, would you rather draft 
John Wall or Kemba Walker? Uh, yeah, this is gross. This is uglier than mine. Um, yeah, I don't feel good about this. I would rather draft John Wall. Um, I think I think he'll be more entrusted with the offense than Kemba Walker will in New York. And also, you know, New York has almost like no real investment in Kemba Walker. He's like a two years, eight million or something. While the the Rockets have like he they owe John Wall a lot of money, and I just believe they are going to play him. Um, like if even if it's to like try to you know juice up his value to trade him, you know I know he's not the priority of the organization just in terms of like rebuilding, but um, I think at this point, I mean he's at least more like I don't know. I I think I would just rather have Wall. What do you think? I would rather have Wall because I, I think there are fewer roadblocks for him. Like I trust the Knicks to better manage Kemba Walker. I, I think they will they will be very strategic about when he sits out, how many games he plays. It's going to be frustrating, yeah. obviously, for for fantasy owners. But I, I do think like when Kemba Walker plays, he'll probably look better, and he has a better chance of still being healthy at the end of the season than John Wall does. But I like with Houston, it's like. If you're not starting John Wall at point guard, who's it going to be? Like Jalen Green is is more of a two. Kevin Porter also kind of more of a two. Like those guys probably start together at the two and the three nominally. Um, but it it as of right now, it's still kind of John Wall's team at point guard. And and like you said, even though he's not the future, they don't really have a better option right now. And I actually thought he looked like fairly good last season when healthy. Like the efficiency plummeted, which is about what you'd expect from a player coming off of the absence and the injuries that he's had. Um, but, but overall, like he, he looked like a reasonable facsimile of John Wall and, and and Kemba when he's healthy also has looked mostly like his old self, but I, I feel like with Wall, like there's, there's still like a slight chance. It's kind of like the Boogie Cousins Lakers discussion we had at the top, like with Wall, it's like, he's shown enough glimpses where you're like, man, if, if if there's like a 5% chance that this guy can just stay healthy and play 70 games, this could really pay off. Whereas with Kemba, I I just think the Knicks are going to be so careful with him that there's not a ton of upside there. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're in agreement there. Um, okay. My next one, uh, <laughs> this is, I think my most fun one that I have done. Um, would you rather draft Kyle Kuzma or Alexei Pokashevsky? What the hell, man? <laughs> uh, Kuzma, I think, I guess I, I, I actually went through and I don't, I don't know if I should disclose this to you if it biases your, your opinion, but I, I lowered Kuzma's projection a little bit today as I was going through and like looking at the Wizards depth chart. I mean, they have a, a lot of mouths to feed, weirdly. A lot of mouths that you don't necessarily want to be feeding, but you have Bertans, you have a first round rookie in Kispert, uh, Denny Abdia, last year's lottery pick, totally forgot about him. Like he's going to be back from injury. Um, Montrez Harrell, I mean, at center, you have Gafford, Thomas Bryant's going to be back. Hachimura is going to command probably 30 minutes at, at power forward. You still have KCP at the two. Like the big advantage for Kuzma is that he could you could probably play shooting guard if you really need him to. It's not ideal. He's more of a three, maybe even more of a four than anything. Um, so, he, you know, he has the versatility to kind of move between those spots. But um, I, I initially was like pretty high on him, you know, in Washington, finally getting out of L.A. At like literally about as far away from L.A. as possible, which I think is, is a big plus for him. Like if he was just playing in Sacramento, I, I I feel like he would just still live in L.A. and just like take a helicopter to every game. And <laughs> that would not be advantageous. But I mean, I, I know I'm kind of like 
bashing Kuzma right now, but he's still my pick. Like Pokashevsky, I, I don't even know how to describe like what we saw from him last year. Like it was somehow <laughs> better than expected, but at the same time, just like it's like appalling. It's an appalling style of basketball to watch. And you know the, the thing that still made him like borderline relevant at times in fantasy was like I mean he blocked almost a shot per game. He launches a ton of shots so even even though like he shot 34 percent from the field it was just comical uh he was still giving you more than one three-pointer per game so like in certain formats Pokashevsky like if you can throw out efficiency he probably makes more sense but I, I just feel like Kuzma is, is the much better basketball player and there, there's at least some reason for Washington to attempt to to make good on this deal and and, and try to develop him I agree the thing I will say is that Kuzma has never ranked higher than 102nd in per game production. And that includes when he averaged 19 points and six rebounds a game in his second season. Um, so I think there will be people who are just like, I'm probably not going to get higher than 100th out of Kuzma. And Pokashevsky is so intriguing that I would just rather, you know, take the chance that he averages like 14, like, eight and four with like a block and a half in 32 minutes or something. Um, it's at least, I think, I think there will be people who draft Pokashevsky over Kuzma. That's all. That's all I'll say. Yeah. I mean, it's justifiable. I, I don't, I don't think Kuzma is like the glaring right answer. We, we have Pokashevsky like 20 some spots higher in our rankings. Like if you're going by those, you should draft Pokashevsky. Right. I mean, and, and all the concerns that I just mentioned with Kuzma with there being, other competent options on the roster. Those concerns do not exist whatsoever for Pokashevsky and OKC. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that OKC depth chart is, that's hard to look at, you know, because I, I, I've, <laughs> he's going to start as small forward because Kenrich Williams is not starting. Gabrielle Deck, jo- I mean, maybe Josh Giddy starts at small forward. I don't know. Some of those guys, like, I don't, I honestly don't even know if they're truly still on the roster. You know, like they're still on our depth <laughs> chart, but like there was like no announcement. Like, so I feel like we're going to find out like, oh, yeah, these guys were released like back in June and nobody said anything. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, no concerns there about Poku. I mean, I, I, I think I would still go Kuzma just because I tend to be I try to be a little bit more conservative, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, if you were if you're looking for the upside play, it's it's absolutely Pokushevsky. I'm not going to fight you on that. Uh, all right. We'll try to go quick on this one, too. Clay Thompson or Kawhi Leonard? Thompson. Um, I mean, Clay will be back by Christmas. That is the, uh, it's like fully the expectation at this point. I would be shocked if we saw Kawhi Leonard play more than like 20 ish games. And chances are, if he does come back that late in the season, that's your fantasy playoffs are going to be happening. Maybe you don't even make the fantasy playoffs. Um, you know, this also depends on how many IR spots you have, everything like that. I would rather just have the guy who I'm pretty confident will be available for at least like 40 games, even if he gets sat on back-to-backs. I know there's more upside. Like if you, if Kawhi manages to come back and play 30 minutes a game for the last 20 games of the season and you're in the fantasy playoffs, like maybe that helps you win the title. Um, I I just don't have enough confidence in that. So I, I'd rather take Clay. I feel the same way. It's, it's just a battle of, you know, like kind of unknown versus an unknown, I guess. And, and Clay is even somewhat of an unknown because he's not actually back yet, but we at least have a date on him and Kawhi. But we have no idea. Like we, we didn't even know about the surgery until like days after, like we, we know whatever Kawhi and his camp tell us. Like, I, I don't even know if the Clippers have internally put forth any sort of estimate as to when he'll be back. Like there's a chance that if you take Kawhi Leonard 
with the hundredth pick in your draft with the idea of stashing him and then all of a sudden, oh, he's back for the for the fantasy playoffs, which that is a possibility. Like that that's the upside here is you might get a like top fifteen fantasy player uh, added to your roster at a key point in the season. Like that that is on the table. There's also a chance that he just doesn't play the entire regular season and you've wasted a pick and you've wasted an IR spot and you know your your whole master plan just never comes to fruition. Right. Yeah. Um Okay, I have three more. Okay. Uh, would you rather draft Robert Williams or Yusuf Nurkic? Nurkic. Okay, I also considered adding Boucher to this mix. Does that change your mind? Mm. Well, at Ken Birch, you know? I, yeah. <laughs> I I just don't trust Boston. Like, I feel like there's, like, too much Al Horford nostalgia where they're, they're going right. to be, like, under some sort of weird obligation to play him. And, and even, like, Enos Cantor somehow always finds his way into minutes like either he earns them or the player ahead of him always gets hurt so there might be like a curse type of situation you have to keep an eye on here i i mean and also like speaking of curses like nurkic the last two years have gone like as bad as possible yeah for nurkic and he had so much momentum coming off of i guess it would have been was it all the way back in 1819 yeah um i mean i i definitely was guilty of like way overdrafting him in a number of leagues two years ago and even last year it was like all right well 2020 or 2019-20 went so badly this next season it can't go that badly again and it kind of did so I, I do feel like he's due for a turnaround and finally like all their eggs are in that basket for Portland like who's the backup right now is it is it just Cody Zeller yeah Zeller slash Nance yeah yeah I guess you still have Nance um I mean there's there's no Hassan Whiteside to fall back on anymore there's no Enos Cantor to fall back on uh I, I think it's Nurkic I, I think we Obviously, they're with the known health concerns. You have to factor that in. Um, but I mean, Rob Williams also missed a decent amount of time at the end of last year. I, I, I think that if Nurkic stays healthy, this isn't even close at all. I, I think he this is he's finally going to play more minutes this year. Like e- even when healthy the last couple of years, he was in like the mid 20s, which is a little disappointing. I, I think with the way the roster is built, they're they're probably going to ask him to play at least high 20s, maybe even low 30s. I agree. The only concern I have is just how insane Robert Williams minute uh, per like per minute production is because he played 19 minutes a game last season and ranked higher than Nurkic on a per game basis. And Robert Williams is also the seventh ranked per 36 player in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's somewhat of a fluke, but his numbers were were insane on like just uh, on rates. So I. I think I would draft Nurkic, but I am I am definitely open to taking a chance on Robert Williams. I my main point would also be your main point in that I think the Al Horford nostalgia will be very real. I think there's a good chance he sees 30 minutes a game, and I don't even know if you can play him at power forward anymore. Um, so I don't know if Robert Williams and Al Horford can even be on the court at the same time. Um, I don't think so. Not ideally. No, I mean I don't think Horford is mobile enough or enough of a knockdown shooter to justify that. Right. Jonathan Isaac or Karis LeVert? It's got to be LeVert. I mean, I, I really want to say Isaac, but I mean, this is like a staggering amount of injuries for a guy who is not even 24 years old yet. I, w- I was just looking at him. I did a little write-up on him for one of our articles this morning. And I mean, like the, on the other hand, the defensive stats are mind-boggling. I mean, 2.3 blocks, 1.6 steals per game uh, two seasons ago before his latest injury. But I mean, even his rookie year, he played 27 games, did play 75 as a sophomore, 
Uh, but then just 34 last year, zero games last season. Like, it almost kind of runs together where you forget, like, he didn't play right. at all this season. Like, I, I always have to think, like, wait, did that injury happen this past season or the year before? It was the year before. Like, he did not play at all. Um, one way to look at that is, you know, his body is going to be as strong and, and fresh as it's been at any point in a long time. Uh, but when you have an injury history like this, like, it's it's really tough. I, I, I really have no idea where we're going to see him come off the board in drafts. Like it really nothing would surprise me. Yeah. I think some people will be really aggressive on Isaac knowing that he was like a top 35 player the last time he was healthy. Um, on the other hand, the magic have absolutely no reason to rush him back from anything or play him when he's sore. They're not playing for anything. Right. Um, they want to probably protect the asset. So uh, I would also lean Levert here. Cause I think the Pacers are going to hundred percent. They're going to go for it. He's super talented. He might run this, the bench unit. He's obviously a threat for like 25 and five every single game. Um, so the last one I have, uh, and these last two were like iffy for me, but uh, would you rather draft Christian Wood or Jalen Brown? That's a good one. That's a very good one. I think my, my first inkling is Jalen Brown. Right. But I I don't know if that's correct. I, I man, this, this, this was the first one that I, I, I really haven't had like, a true answer that I, I feel great about, or I shouldn't say great, feel okay about. Oh, man. For reference, we have them ranked, I think back to back. Uh, no, like five spots away from each other. Yep. Yep. We have, I'm seeing Wood at 43, Brown at 46 in our eight category kind of default roto rankings. Oh man. I, I mean, it, I, I think Christian Wood missing time last year. I, I kind of took away from how good he was for most of the time that he was healthy. And, you know, they did bring in Daniel Tice. I, I don't worry too much about that. I, those guys could play together. I think Tice eventually fades into like the Mason Plumley zone where they just ask themselves why they brought him in in the first place. I don't know, man. I, I, I think I'm coming around. I think it's Wood. I think it's Christian Wood. I, I think there's a little more upside there. I know he's not like he's older than he seems just because of how his career has gone. But I mean, Jalen Brown looked like he was one of the 10 best players in the league for the first couple months of last season. And then just like kind of slowly faded and faded and, and was still really good, but couldn't quite maintain that pace. Um, I, I feel like the Celtics are, are going to have a healthier season. They're going to have a, a slightly more talent, at least around him. Uh, whereas with the Rockets, it's kind of going to be a similar situation to last year where, you know, you have your two or three guys at the top who you're, you're kind of developing on the fly. And then just this cast of role players slash G leaguers around them. And I, I think that's going to bode pretty well for, for Christian Wood stat wise. Yeah, I think, you know, if you kind of take away the games that Wood was not seeing 30 minutes, because um, there was a decent amount. Like, if you if you really just kind of assume he's going to see 35 minutes every game, he's like a 23 and 10 player. Um, I, you know, I think the swing piece in this sort of uh, in this debate is probably Jalen Brown's um, free throw shooting because it's been shaky. Last year was a career high yeah. for him at 76 percent. And he had improved three seasons in a row prior to that. But if he drops back down to like, again, like low, like low seventies, maybe high sixties, which is weird because he's a good three point shooter. Then he's at risk of being ranked like, you know, 40 to 60. Um, but again, hey, maybe Kemba Walker being gone, more usage goes Brown's way. Tatum's also going to have a lot of usage. I think I would draft Jalen Brown just because he, he has had the higher rank in the past, and I don't really think there's a reason for him to drop significantly other than a potential free throw shooting thing. But um, 
I don't. Yeah, I, I would go Brown, but it's not like you said, it's not like a it's not like an easy choice um, because of Woods upside. Like he's, you know, has the upside for 20 and 10 every single game. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of a positional scarcity aspect to with Christian Wood. I mean, he's a center who can maybe average two threes a game this year, still yeah. block some shots, still maybe approach one steal per game. Um, yeah, I, I would slightly lean Wood, but yeah, I mean, I, I would be I would be very happy to have either of those guys with like a fourth round pick. Same here. Um, that does it for me. That's all That's I got. The last one. Yep. Okay, I, I did have one one bonus one written down. <laughs> bonus. Would you rather bet the Mavs or the Warriors over forty eight and a half wins? That's <laughs> the number for both teams is forty eight and a half at the draft. No Kings way. Um, Warriors. I, okay. I I think. I mean, the risk with Porzingis's health is is to. I mean, the the Mavs just aren't that good. Like Curry is better than Doncic, and the Warriors supporting cast is better than the Mavs supporting cast, in my opinion. So to me, this is like no contest. Yeah, I was I was shocked. I was just doing my daily sweep of you know the DraftKings sportsbook odds, and I, the Mavericks at forty eight and a half is insane. The Warriors at that number is is probably a little bit high for me, but. I at least understand it. Like there's always hype around the Warriors. Clay's coming back. You know, they they loaded up in the draft. Like I, I kinda get that. Is there is there anyone out there who's like, you know who had a great offseason? The Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> uh no. I will say, you know, based on last year's point differential, they were a forty seven win team, you know, on a eighty two game rate or whatever. And Golden State was forty two. Right. But Golden State should be able to be higher than forty two with injury luck and getting clay back in Dallas. I mean, impressive that they won 47 games. Again, they pressed against the Clippers. I just think like, again, I don't, I don't trust the rest of their roster other than Doncic as much as I trust though, with the Warriors roster. Same here, same here. And I, I think it is important to remember, I guess that the Mavs were a better team than the Warriors last year and the Warriors did not make the playoffs, but it, it just seems like things are going to come together for them. It, it ultimately for the Warriors, it's going to come down to uh, how do they look in that? I think it's 32 games before Christmas day. You're like when you hear like, Oh, Clay's back by Christmas in my mind, I'm like, Oh, what will he miss? Like 15 games. It's like, no, he's going to miss almost half the season. You know, if they can go, if they can go on a nice run and, and come into that, like, I don't know, 22 and 10, like you'd feel pretty good about that over obviously. But if they, if they struggle a little bit and you know, you're, you're starting to rely a little too much on Nemanja Bielitsa and, you know, Kaminga <laughs> and Moody for, for real minutes, like then it might not really look all that different from last year. Yeah, it, it is intriguing that those teams have the same over-under, though. That was a good catch. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually double-checking it now. Like, your reaction was so strong, and I was like, wait, did I miss? Did I misread <laughs> that? Uh, but no, the Dallas Mavericks are at 48 and uh, 48 and a half. Minus 120 to the under, plus 100 to the over. So at, at least they, they agree with us to, to some respect on that. Golden State, minus 110 under, minus 110 over. So they're kind of right on the fence. That is surprising. I mean, if they get a, if they get a fully healthy season out of Porzingis, then yeah, they could they could win 50 games. But I would never, I would never, I just would never say like Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, that's 50 wins. No, no, uh, not after adding Reggie Bullock and literally nobody else. <laughs> but all right, man, let's wrap this up. This was fun exercise. Uh, maybe we'll do this again sometime. You know, around around draft season when things heat up in about a month or so. Sounds good.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.